0: Episode number four of the Video Game History Hour, presented by the Video Game History Foundation. Every episode will be bringing in an expert guest, someone who's done their research and has an interesting story from video game history to tell. My name is Kelsey Lewin. I'm the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. And I'm here, as always, with Frank Sepaldi, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation.
1: Hi, that's me. Um, our guest today is author Elijah Lee from TheIcon.com. Elijah recently published A First Lady of Gaming, the first black female game designer, an article and an accompanying micro documentary exploring the early career of designer Muriel Tramis. Uh, Elijah, welcome to the Video Game History Hour. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, Elijah, tell us a little bit about yourself and the, the work that you do. We're just meeting right now for the first time.
2: Yeah, so um, well, I'm a video game journalist. Uh still a little awkward for me to say that. I'm still dealing with a little bit of imposter syndrome. But um, yeah, I'm a video game journalist. Um the thing is, I like to focus on issues with diversity because I am a black male, and there's very few people of color and women and members of the LGBTQA plus community in the gaming industry. So that's always like. Amplifying those voices has always been a passion of mine. So I guess it was back in February, I was doing a video for Black History Month where I just wanted to talk about people of color's uh, contribution to gaming. And then I realized I, I realized I had a lot of dudes in the video and not a lot of women. So wanted to like even that out a bit. And I thought to myself, well, who's the f- first black woman game designer? and I didn't know off the top of my head, Googled it, uh, Carol Shaw popped up and I thought to myself, Hmm, that, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. (laughs) So (laughs) this began like this, I guess a small obsession of mine to find out who the first black female game designer was. And I'm happy to say that
1: I found her. Yeah. Um, so it it just, it seems like such a simple question, right? Like Mm -hmm. who was the first black female video game designer? Um, and it's something that, I mean, I'll, I'll confess. It's not something I've ever even thought of asking. And uh, it's just not something that, like you said, it, it doesn't come up on Google. Uh, there's not, I mean, Muriel is actually in Wikipedia's list of women in the video game industry, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't even say that she's black. First of all, <laughs> you know, like, so like, let alone that, that uh, she is the first black female, video game designer Mm -hmm. um so you had to get pretty uh hardcore trying to figure this out well yeah so the the
2: thing is is like not a lot of people were even asking um the question and it just goes to that kind of society how society kind of like puts people into like these boxes you know um video game development isn't something that black women do what are you talking about so I'm not even going to approach the question of who was the first um, so it was a difficult thing because there wasn't anyone talking about it that I didn't really see any like for like previous research into the issue so my first step was to try to like make a timeline um, like starting in like the mid 70s going to the early 90s was like where I was gonna first start my uh, start my search and I started off by going through uh, company photos from different companies like uh, Atari and and just looking for any, like, black employees that might be in one of these photos. Um, really didn't find any there.
1: Uh, then Wait, did I you did, literally find no black employees in the Atari? Um,
2: like, no, I don't oh
1: my God. think so.
2: <laughs> but, well, no black women. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, not really. So I went through like At- At- Atari, all these. Sorry, old- I'm sorry old- I sorry.
1: keep backtracking. It's like there were hundreds of people there. That's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, so there is. So I went through company photos that I could find online. Um, end up trying to like find company memos and documents that had like lists of employees. And then I tried to cr- cross-reference that with like known uh, Black women who have graduated uh, from college in IT or something like that to try to find out who it was. Uh, that took a while and didn't lead me anywhere. Uh, there was, there, it, it was a lot that I've read several books on. Um, like I mentioned, uh, Women in Gaming. Uh, that was a book that I read to try to find out if that was mentioned. And it was just for a while, I was beating my head against a wall, like trying to find anything. Um, even but and she
0: was in that book, right? Yeah, she was in the book. is in the book okay
2: yeah she does but it doesn't mention her being the first or anything like that uh but she is in the book uh and she was actually one of the like i found read the like i've had the book actually for for months so i read it and she was actually at like like the, my top one of my top suspects of who it might be but i wanted to confirm to confirm it so it was just going through all these documents of original and then eventually, I reached out to Ed Smith. He's uh, he's one of the black men to work on, like um, one of the first black men to work on a video game console. And just asked him, "Were you did you know of any black women that worked in video game design or development at the time that you were working?" And I'm just because I'm thinking to myself, it would have to be like a a smaller a smallish community at the time. You know, we're talking about like the 70s and stuff like that in uh, video games. And he wasn't aware of anyone. So I was just like, crap, I was just, I was hoping that he would give me like a good lead on something. Um, so it was just, it was just months and months. And throughout my research, it just kept pointing back to Muriel. Um, And I remember what I did was um, reached out to college professors uh, that specialized in like, uh, uh, video games, technology, uh, technology history, and all that stuff. Asked them if they knew anything, and to my surprise, they didn't know. And they reached out to other people that actually are currently working in the video game industry as a designer, as a developer, and they didn't know as well. So I'm just like, this is this this can't be a thing. This can't be real. I'm not going to believe that this is real. But um, but yeah. So I searched. And I researched and then it just kept going back to Muriel, Muriel Tramas, Muriel Tramas. So I reached out to her and I was just like, Hey, Muriel. Um, I didn't, when I, when I messaged her originally, I didn't want to like say, Hey, Muriel, I think you're the first black woman to ever work as a game designer. (laughs) I didn't want to do that. (laughs) So I just tried to like have a casual conversation with her. And it, it eventually came up and I was just like, so like, do you know about the, uh, who the first black uh, female game designer is. And she's like, well, I'm pretty sure that it's
1: me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's but, actually something I wasn't clear on that, that like, she already kind of knew this.
2: Yeah. She kind of had a, a, a suspicion that, that she might be. Um, so
1: sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, okay. You're, you're looking through company photos. You're looking through company directories. You're talking to college professors, right? You are, you are, talking to other people who were black in the industry in the earliest days. Mm-hmm. And you have imposter syndrome about being a journalist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so I actually love that you brought that up um, at the beginning of your article, because I think that's something that um, a lot of historians and and journalists probably as well uh, struggle with, is that feeling of imposter syndrome, especially when you have a story like this one, you know, how has no one in the English speaking world thought to uh, (laughs) try to discover what the answer to this question is yet, right? So how did it take until 2020? And I can totally relate to that feeling of like, am I really the person to break this story? How has no one one talked about this yet? Um, And I, I just am bringing that up because I think that it's something Video game history is so young still that we kind of need all hands on deck. I mean, a lot of the big questions still have not been answered yet, like this one. Um, We're still excavating, like, you know, 90% of the dig site, right? So we need everybody to be here answering these big questions because, you know, as surprising as it is that no one's figured out the answer to this in the English-speaking world until you, that's, you know, (laughs) that's the reality we're living in right now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so it, it was definitely hard and I was definitely going through a lot of imposter syndrome just like, I, I this is impossible, I'm not the one to find this, like, <laughs> no I I have a silly YouTube channel and then a small website am I really the one to find this out?
1: I'm like, okay <laughs> So, okay uh, it's Muriel, it's Muriel Trimus um, mm-hmm. I was not familiar with her work, I take that back, I actually played Goblins for a minute way back in the day but um you know i wasn't familiar with her name or anything like that um tell us about muriel well uh she she eventually she was born
2: on the uh, caribbean island of montanique um she had an interest in like technology and gaming from a very young age and then eventually she she went to school, graduated. She started off working kind of for a weapons manufacturer, making uh, um, unman- unmanned aerial vehicles uh, for a while, or UAVs, and she was working on the uh, maintenance procedures for them. And after a while of working there, I think it was uh, five years, she realized that that just wasn't her thing. It wasn't feeding her uh, her artist her artistic side, and. She had kind of like a, a moral quandary, uh, moral quagmire, with working for our weapons manufacturer. So she ended up leaving um, the company, and she started got interested in advertising, and she thought that was a good outlet for her, uh, for a good creative outlet for her. And then she ended up working at Cocktail Visions, and she impressed them so much that eventually, like within a year, I believe it was, they have had her working on her first game, which was May Wheelow. So, and, you know, that from from there, it was all down here or uphill, depending on how you want to see it, where <laughs> she just realized she loved making video games. And she did May Wheelow. And then um, she made her directorial debut, making it uh, with uh, Freedom the next year. And the games that she makes draws from her culture, um, the Mayweelo for instance, takes place on the island of Martinique. Mont- Mont- uh, it deals with slavery and discrimination and stuff like that. And the games themselves, like the the writing and the storytelling in them, are is are very very good. Like it's a, it's a simple point and click, click and adventure vi- uh, game by our standards, but like the story in there are still like very heavy. And there's really we really don't make stories like that right now. There's not. You can't go out and buy a triple A title that's about slaves uh, overthrowing their master on the plantation. Right. <laughs> yes. Do you
0: have a sense for how how these games were received at the time? Because they are pretty heavy subjects.
2: Yeah. Um, so Maywila was did really good for uh, the company and so did Freedom. Um, most, of, From what I understand, the games were pretty well received uh, at the time of their release. They were
1: released um, in France specifically. Do you know, or were they released? Uh, they were
2: released of- in France, and I believe I don't. Of some of her later stuff, like her erotic games, I believe they were also released in the uh, uh, stateside as well.
1: Okay. Um, what I found really interesting is just right out the gate with May Wheelow, um She's tackling you know the the history of of slavery in martinique Mm -hmm. so uh you know it's it's kind of interesting to i don't know it it just feels unheard of for me to someone for someone's first game right out the gate to actually be you know a a passion project like that
2: yeah i think that's also you know the 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 company that she worked at gave her the freedom to uh to do that, but also I think it was a product of the time. You know, video games are still this new, uh, fresh thing that that you can kind of you're really allowed to push the boundaries of what you could do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and really like push the boundaries, talk about topics that were like really what we would consider what we m- would consider today as taboo. You know, you were really allowed to experiment when it's the, when you're just like the open frontier. There are no rules at this point because you're pretty much making the rules.
0: And I wonder how much of this is also like... Uh the difference between a French landscape and a U.S. landscape where, you know, that might not have been accepted right out the gate, even in the eighties here. Uh, Yeah. But, and I mean, I have no sense of what the scene was really like in France in, in the 1980s, 1990s, but it sounds like they were ready for some of that. I mean, if, if these were really well-received games and didn't Mm. have like a ton of controversy and stuff around them as you would imagine they might here. uh, Mm. I think that's, that's a really interesting difference that we don't really explore a lot of times we kind of get this ethnocentric view of video game history being us Japan and sometimes UK and-, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of where people stop looking
2: yeah it's yeah it's very it's very interesting um from what I understand of the of the culture in in France they're a little more uh, a little more open with the whole issue of race and diversity than we are here in the states just because we went through like the 80s was kind of a time where you know you had like the civil rights movement and then you had the 80s where you know the 70s and the 80s where everyone was kind of like our way of dealing with racism is just not to acknowledge race or racism at all because it's over now (laughs) Cause that it was cured with the civil rights movement. So now it's, so that's it's what okay. I was taught. Yeah. yeah, Oh yeah. That's, that's what we were taught. It's like slavery was bad. Abraham Lincoln fixed it. And, uh, but there was still a little racism left. So then Martin Luther King came and he made it all go away and it's okay.
1: Well, the thing is he's the first one who asked nicely.
2: Yes, <laughs> that's that 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 what it was because you know Malcolm X he was he was he was too radical.
1: Right. Yeah. He was he was the Magneto to uh, the Xavier in this relationship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then
2: growing up is realizing you know Magneto has a real reason for being angry, <laughs> <laughs> and Professor X is kind of a jerk because he could like make everything better if he wanted to, and he chooses not to. <laughs>
1: Okay, Kelsey, we're going to talk about X Men now. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I expect this occasionally. <laughs>
1: um, actually, no. Let's uh, let's talk about May Wheelo specifically. Um, did, did you have a chance to to play it? I know there was some footage in the micro documentary.
2: Uh, yeah. So the footage, if you look, uh, the footage was not mine. Uh, credit the YouTuber that I got to f- grab the footage from. I did play it, but playing it and actually recording it was too much of a task because it was, (laughs) yeah, it was, I had to go, I had to jump through hoops because I have a really nice uh, gaming computer. But that kind of (laughs) like, that kind of worked against me when it was, when it came to like playing these, these older titles and it was just kind of a mess, but I was able to play them a little bit. Um, The story is interesting Uh, Like I said, this is a game that came out in in the late 80s, so there wasn't really like that much music or anything like that. Um, A lot of the game, uh, I don't... See, it's kind of hard for me to say how the game is, because I don't know if it was just me trying to emulate a game from the 80s in 2020, or if it was the game itself. (laughs) But a lot of it didn't have audio. There was some audio here and there. But the... um, you know it, it's the story and the imagery that they have on there that was really uh really interesting that really kind of like captivated me and kept me going
1: yeah and i, I believe it was an amstrad cpc game yeah. so i wouldn't expect audio i yeah. don't I don't think that's your fault there was yeah. a lack of audio i think that was um pretty pretty simple tech on the amstrad yeah um but uh, yeah, can you can you uh, recall the story? I thought it was pretty interesting. It's based on a real legend, right?
2: Yeah, so it's based off of the uh, legend of the golden jars, where basically um, slave masters uh, who wanted to protect their gold had a their trusted slave go out with uh, a jar that had their gold in it. They to- had them dig a hole. And once they were done digging the hole, they killed the slaves, pushed them in the hole with the golden jar, buried them. So their spirits could like keep outsiders away. And essentially what you do, you play um, a specialist in, par- in, the, in, in paranormal and ghosts and stuff like that. And what you're doing is you're trying to figure out the secrets of the gold jars. You're trying to find these ghosts and you have to bring their, um, their descendants to them and perform this ritual. And after the ritual is done, the, uh, the spirit can be laid to rest.
1: and that's uh that's that's pretty heavy stuff for a video game even now
2: yeah i would love to see more games like that produced today um just because it's i find the the topic very interesting and i do think that it would help in terms of pushing diversity forward but i don't know i feel like we're still maybe some time away from getting a game like that
0: (laughs) at least in the triple a sphere right there's probably i'm sure there's some indies uh tackling some of this heavier stuff there's a, a native american one that comes to mind that's name is escaping me now it's like five years old at this point
2: yeah but. it's gonna it's gonna take some time i mean it's in the triple a space the closest thing that we've had i believe to a game that tries to tackle diversity and discrimination is probably detroit becoming human and it really wasn't about race <laughs> so
1: that's what they say anyway <laughs>
2: yeah, that's what, yeah i mean we we yeah you know, i have my thoughts on that like <laughs>
1: uh i'm very tempted to go down that road but i will not um so, uh so it's really her second game that seems like uh caught your attention uh the most when you were kind of going through her career freedom um can you can you can you tell us about that well freedom freedom was a game where
2: it's basically you're trying to lead a revolt against your slave masters um uh, t- again, taking place on uh, Martinique, but the um, the thing that I found fascinating, uh, I read this when I was doing research uh, from someone in the uh, who wrote it in the obscurity that the game came out the same year Super Mario Brothers two, and I'm just like, so we have this game, <laughs> like the comparison and contrast the of this game uh, that is about slaves banding together to overthrow their master, and then we have Super Mario two in the U S, which is Mario jumping around and it was stuff an like
1: analogy that. for apartheid Mario too. Right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: so not to, not to give Mario uh, two or Doki Doki panic or whatever, any crap. It's still a fun game and I love it. It's just very interesting to kind of see where her head was at when she was, you know, in when she was making this game versus right. it's yeah it's like Phil says it's
1: just comparing the two you know yeah in the in the historical context of what we think about video game history it's just like it's it's kind of mind blowing that these things exist at the same time. Yeah.
2: It it, it is kind of it's kind of mind blowing. It's kind of fun to uh to think about um so I did play Freedom I couldn't get past like the last part so I don't know what happens, but um, I read about it uh, a little bit. And the people who have played it recently also have struggled to get past the, the last part. They don't know if it's a bug or maybe it's like a, um, you know, what's going on there. But um, so the the game ends with you trying to reason with the uh, the master of the plantation to set you free. Which is just all types of like, just mind boggling and just messes with your head right there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. It's so, yeah, Freedom I I found to be just very, very interesting. Uh, It was her directorial debut. So, you you know, when you're playing a game that someone directs, you really get to get a sense of the, the type of person that they are and, you know, the idea and the concepts of leading a revolt starting uh starting this revolt against your slave masters to end up like reasoning with the plantation owner to set you free I found to be really interesting and i would just I would really like to see what Muriel would be able to do uh today with today's modern technology i would i just find think that would be really interesting
0: and you said she is working on a a project right now right
2: yes uh remembrance um so there's not too much. Uh, she didn't really say too much about the project uh, at the time because it's still like in early, early development. Uh, the website for it isn't up yet. But um, yeah, she's working on a new title, and she says that it's drawing from a lot of her er- early work. So I'm really excited to. Uh, I'm really excited to check it out. So
1: That's what awesome. you were what you were saying earlier about you know you're not sure if it's a bug or something at the end of the game. I mean, this is. Maybe slightly off topic, but one of the things that kind of terrifies me in the world of video game preservation is that um, a lot of these older floppy disk based games, um, we've relied on the pirated copies to be our like record Mm -hmm. of of these games. And uh, it just it makes me fearful that it's like, oh, my God, what if what if they were so evil that they actually put like copy protection in at the end of the game you know where you wouldn't know that the the game was broken until you got to the end and it's like because you're saying other people it's not
0: unheard of yeah and it's
1: it's happened before it's like
2: the whole video game preservation thing that's like it's it's very scary because it's it's not like they weren't really thinking when they were making these games of like, oh, 20, 30 years, 50 years from now, people are going to want to preserve this and want to know about this and preserve this history. They were just like, let's get this out and move on to the next project. So, right. Like, it's just I,
0: like how film reels were thrown out after it's done at the theater. There's no like reruns of a, of a film back in the early days. It's just, yeah, it gets shown in the theaters and then they toss the film reel.
2: Yes. And uh, that's heartbreaking it's really, it's really heartbreaking. Like to think that something like that could be lost to time. Like it, I find it like heartbreaking. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to just like to, like I really dove into this and it became a, a bit of an obsession for me for, for so long.
1: <laughs> so, um, after her first two games, um, are exploring, um, not just themes, but, but historical, uh, Uh, issues revolving slavery Martinique Um, she actually moves on to I think it was maybe three titles in a row Mm -hmm. uh, that are exploring eroticism right
2: yes so uh, actually Muriel um, I didn't mention it but she's actually written a few erotic novels uh, Ah. as well yeah so that you know her erotic novels are her erotic video games are very interesting too because I believe it's um, Emmanuel uh, among you all that discovers, uh, goes over some quote-unquote non-normative eroticism, such as like bondage and polyamory, polyamory and stuff like that.
1: Wait, so, is that her book, Emmanuel? Uh, no, so it's just okay. no,
2: her, um, her, her video game. Among, Among You All was written by um, Emmanuel Arsan, and then she turned the book and she adapted the uh, book into Got it. the game. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it deals with like... Uh, you know, there's so some te- bit of polyamory and then like bondage in there, and just really goes to show like how progressive and forward-thinking, you know, she she was that that's in the game.
1: <laughs> I'm just then, like, I mean, you're talking about you know the the themes of these you know commercial video games. I mean, maybe we don't call them triple A necessarily, but these were like commercial games in stores mm-hmm. that you bought, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the idea of Going to the store and buying a video game that's not only exploring these quote unquote, you know, taboo areas of eroticism, but also based on a novel. Yeah. <laughs> like that that's that, that just, I can't imagine going to Best Buy right now and buying, you know, an Xbox game based on any novel, let alone an erotic one.
0: Well, I think that goes back to, you know, what we were saying about. How we when we don't consider when we fail to consider these other countries involved Mm -hmm. in video game history, it's Mm -hmm. like we're missing a huge slice of the picture. Um, Obviously, we would have never had just on store shelves games like these in the U.S., but in France, obviously, that was okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, France tends to not be so prudish about about those types of things but yeah that's why you know i'm i'm in my little micro documentary i made a point of saying that you know you had japan and america but in france they were also doing their thing as well which people all all always think that video games are american and japanese and there's not nothing going on in other places
0: and i thought it was so interesting that uh you know when you were telling muriel that her name doesn't pop up when you search for her in English. She's like, Oh, I pop up just fine. If you just search me in French, like she's known in France, people know about this and it took until 2020 for the rest of the world to see her.
2: So the thing about that is too. So I, I researched it and we we went through it. Um, so if you Google first black female video game designer in France, Muriel does pop up, but that's, the Google, kind of like the Google algorithm, uh, it's pretty much ignoring the black part of your, of your query, because she is the first French woman to design a video game. So that's why she's mm. pop, popping up there. So it's kind of like when I googled first black female game designer and Carol Shaw pop, popped up, like Google's just ignoring the black part and just putting, you know, the first in there.
0: What the hell, Google? <laughs>
1: Google, it's it's doing it's 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 doing its best. They're <laughs> it's an ad do- company. What do you expect? Yeah, <laughs> they're not doing an information its company anymore. No, it's not we we I'm I'm still upset about the the loss of Google Books and Google newspapers. So I will talk trash about Google all day. I mean,
2: that's. I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked, but yeah, the loss of any sort of information is bad. I've just always been very pro information that all information should be free so people can educate themselves so they don't
1: yeah indeed um so let's see we were talking about emmanuel uh mm-hmm. is there anything noteworthy about she made uh two after that i think one of my notes say geisha and fascination yes
2: so G- geisha is a really interesting story <laughs> uh it's bad scientists kidnapping your girlfriend Taking her to, uh, taking her away to Japan and trying to turn her into a robotic geisha—that was very interesting. Um, didn't really get a chance to play play that one because I just, for the life of me, couldn't get it to work at all. But yeah, the concept of that was just very interesting, and it was weird. And I mean that in the best possible way I, I can because I love weird, <laughs> weird, weird. That weird aesthetic I think is fun and fascination um she wanted to create a female protagonist that her intelligence was as much of an asset as her like ability to seduce and her sexuality which i thought was was really cool like she wanted to put emphasis on both things on her sexuality but also her intelligence which again is something that we still struggle with today whereas um Whereas you have a character, they either have to be really, really smart and devoid of any sort of s- sexuality; they're they're not sexual whatsoever, or they're like hypersexualized to that becomes their identity. So we haven't like a lot of developers still haven't found that balance. I even did um, I even did a video uh, on that like called uh, "Female Gamers Are Horny Too," where a lot of developers uh, male led developers answer to feminism is to completely remove all sexual content because apparently women don't aren't sexual creatures. So, cause that's how feminism
1: works, I guess. I don't, but yeah, that's what feminism is, right? It's, it's the, the yes, elimination femi- of sexuality.
2: Yes. Feminism, f- feminists do not like sex and yeah. And yeah, so it's ri- ridiculous, but um, that's what I really liked about Fascination. It's this idea that this is a woman, and oh, she's human, so she can like sex while also being smart. Who knew?
1: So I, I have to admit that um, I kind of lose the trail for her career after this because while she's involved in a lot of the Cocktail Visions um, titles after this, they don't see they don't seem to be as personal anymore. And I don't know if that's just you know the studio growing or. <laughs> Um, I can't think of the company, but after after Fascination,
2: um, I believe they were bought by by Sierra. Yeah, they yeah, were bought by, by yeah, Sierra by, in by Sierra um, Games, and I think it just or something. I think it kind of, you know, you, we're talking about the time where you know, video games in the early days were very underground and. in in a way but then as it became more popular and bought by these bigger companies they became corporate so i don't this is just kind of speculation i don't think she really you was given as much freedom as she was before so that they were mostly focusing on like educational games like you know you had like goblins and stuff like that
1: yeah which i mean like i said it's uh, that's the one i had played so they at least um had some more global influence, I guess, a uh, cocktail vision uh, yeah. after the, the acquisition. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking through the games. It's like, uh, you know, n- not that any of them look bad necessarily, but it's, you know, they, they don't grasp me immediately the way that her earlier ones do. And it's kind of a shame.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it it, it is, but, the good thing about that is in two thousand three she did leave and she started making like um, focusing on like three D and VR technology and now she's making um, another company where she's gonna start producing games. So we should be getting that more more Muriel Tramis game <laughs> that we that that you know that that she did in the early days, which I'm really happy for.
1: So let's talk about her activism. Um mm-hmm this is something that was really striking in, in in her video uh just how much she's out there just speaking uh and and being a a, a presence uh, representing underrepresented voices
2: yeah so you know she she's always said that you know uh, women are pushed into quote-unquote feminine like job roles and stuff like that and she wants more women to be interested in like the hard science. It's hard sciences and it it goes it speaks to like diversity in just as a whole because black people and women a lot of the times they're kind of discouraged from entering these uh, entering these the technology technological uh landscape because they just don't feel like it's for them because they they're not supposed to do that because if you're a woman, you're supposed to be doing this, this, and that, and if you're black, you're supposed to be this, doing this, this, and that. So she want she goes to different schools to talk to people to encourage them to let them know that hey, this is something that you're able to do, which I think is pretty amazing.
0: And I think it's especially interesting that you know she mentioned that her the company she worked for for Cocktail Vision uh, was actually pretty inclusive, and she never felt like she had uh, some of the issues that a lot of women and and black women Mm -hmm. face in this industry. Mm -hmm. And so to like, be like, well, I mean, maybe I didn't see some of that stuff, but I know it's out there and to go out and start, you know, trying to make a difference in that I think is especially interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Empathy. That's crazy, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's like, even though she, you know, she didn't experience it in her and in her career, she still, knows that it's out there and wants to make a difference, which is one of the reasons why I just find her to be completely amazing.
0: And as as an American, again, that just kind of fascinates me that she really doesn't feel like she had, uh, like she experienced a lot of sexism or racism or anything in Mm -hmm. her company. I mean, that's, if you ask any women uh, or any woman of color, especially in the United States, i You'd be hard pressed to find someone who's like, yeah, no, everything's been fine. Yeah. It's been great.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. But yeah, it's, like I said, it's one of the reasons why I love her because she didn't go through those things. She, you know, she caught lightning in a bottle and found a company that was very open, very inclusive, very di- diverse, but she still saw that. Hey, this is still a problem for other people, even if it wasn't a problem for me. So she goes to different schools to talk to people. And, you know, I really do think she's the inspiration, not just for Black people or women. I think she's like a real inspiration for everyone because there is a lot you can learn from her.
1: Yeah. And actually, that kind of ties into what I was about to ask. I mean, you worked four months on this article. Like, this is obviously. A really big passion project for you, getting this out. I mean, you spun this out of a piece of content you were doing, and 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 it, it sort of evolved on its own into a bigger thing. Um, what does getting this story out mean for you personally? Well, it's um, you know,
2: it's 2020. You know, it's, there's a lot of stuff happening this year, so. You know, there's this sense of helplessness that that you feel going on. Like the incident with George Floyd happened while I was in the middle during this research, and I just remember like feeling hopeless and just like, ugh. But I kind of like, I kind of realized that this is why it's important because I want to make a a positive contribution. To For the black community, I want to help get her story out there, a story that by all rights should have been out a long time ago. And I want to help inspire uh, other people of color and just really try to do everything that I can, because I just remembered, you know. I've done, went to a few protests, Black Lives Matter protests this year, and I just felt like I want to do more. And this was my way of doing more using my skill set that I have.
1: Well, it was wonderful work. Um, Thank you. Elijah, is there anything uh, you'd like to plug while you're here, your social media presence, anything like that? Uh, Yeah, you can
2: find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash the icon stream. The icon social media is... At the icon stream on Twitter. And if you want to follow me, it's at Elijah's Brain. And of course, there's the website,
1: www.theicon.com. Elijah, thank you so much for joining us on the Video Game History Hour.
2: Yeah, I, I love it. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour, brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter, at Hour or email us at podcast at GameHistory.org. Did you know the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and that all of your contributions are tax-deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon, or at GameHistory.org slash donate. This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.